Between 1910 and 1970, some 8 million African Americans left the South to escape poverty and racism or just find better chances. Today, many of them with their families are heading back home. More people are moving to the South and leaving northern cities behind. There was a phenomenon that started back in the early 1900s. It continued through the 1970s. It was known as the Great Migration. Blacks moved in huge numbers from the South to large northern cities where great paying industrial jobs meant a life of home ownership, even sending your kids to college. Well, those factory jobs are gone, gentrification is in, and black Americans are moving back down south. This has had enormous political and cultural implications. We just saw the elections in Georgia and Florida, and we're seeing the South overall change. And I think one of those dynamics are a lot of northern blacks who have returned to the South. tuned in to the Bruz Bookshelf Podcast, where we read the books and let the content drive the discussion. Listener discretion is advised. Enjoy. In the early turn of the century, blacks in America was tired. And we were in need of a better opportunity. We were looking for safety, freedom, and opportunity. Safety from violence, the freedom to pursue economic prosperity, and the opportunity. Robert Abbott, the founder of the Chicago Defender, marketed to black people across America. He campaigned blacks in the South should relocate up North in the pursuit of the robust manufacturing economy that offered the promise in the form of a better life and the escape of the South harsh Jim Crow laws. But when we got there, we discovered the same racism masquerading around this opportunity and hope that was redlining, wage disparities, segregation, underfunded school systems, and compact living. We essentially traded the devil that we knew for the devil we didn't know. In this black manifesto, Charles M. Blow is calling for a reverse migration, a call for all black people to come back south, home, to establish a dense political base and create the life through politics that we intend to have. The Bruz Bookshelf presents to you Charles M. Blow, The Devil You Know, a black power manifesto. Give it up. Welcome to another podcast episode of the Bros Bookshelf with your host, Lennon Givens. I'm joined here with my beautiful wife, mate, other half. You seem like you didn't know for a second. No, because you always have some kickback on whatever I say, so I make sure I'm covering all my bases. Okay. Hi. Yeah. Dr. Teresa Givens. I'm here with my line brother, the Deuce Dog, Mr. Donovan Snipe. What up, though? We also have the smooth, silky, baritone voice of Dr. Harvey Hinton III. <laughs> and we have a reoccurring guest, 
My other lion brother, the 15th, Mr. Stephen Gilliam II. What up, what up? So we're going to kick it off. Harvey, tell us why you chose this book. Um, You know, I, I started reading this book about two years ago. Um, Actually, after Steve and I, I think it was the book we did, uh, The Black Tax. It wasn't Black, uh, Lives Black, Black Lives Matter to Black Liberation? We did both, right? And we were in this yeah, space of just really deconstructing and just highlighting the modern condition, if you will. And we had all these statistics and all these reminders of around like how bad things were and whatever. I wanted something that would um, offer strategy or solution. Um, I know what I think matters and what I think sounds good. And the people who I've listened to, the, the philosophers of yesterday, but I wanted something modern. Like who's who's talking about now about what we should actually do? Like what can we actually do? And this book came up in that search of like who was who was providing some type of response of what we could do, not just a rehashing of what we already know in terms of, well, not everybody knows, but in terms of what's happening. But what can we actually do? So anyway, that that's why I started this book. And um, like I said, that's about two years ago. And um, fast forward to this time around, um, I thought we were right back in the same space where our conditions were once again in our face. And the conversation is, you know, we had just did the Second Amendment. Conversation once again is like, yeah, we know this. So, boom, you know, what what can we do? So Now, Harvey... I think this book was copywritten in 2021. And I think when he was writing the book, it was at the end because he had mentioned something about something about October 2020. So this book is not that old. It, it may have seemed like it was two years ago. Dude. <laughs> it, you think it, it was it, two years ago? It feels like it. It feels like it. But hey, the copyright don't lie. So let's go. <laughs> Zinger, gotcha, Harv. Hey, <laughs> hey, I, I, I just know I've been reading this book for a minute, bro. I, I know, I know, I just you didn't lying, start it. You lying? Hey, man, I know I just didn't start it. I know when we start. When, when, hey, that part. That's why. That's why I started reading it. We needed some direction. I needed something that's going to speak to what can we do. We have a group chat on WhatsApp. And I remember when Steve would get on and he would point out some of the things that I kind of noticed in his book. But the question used to always be, okay, so what we going to do about it? Okay, so what you going to do about it? Okay, so what you going to do about it? And this book, to your point, Harvey, it does offer to me a realistic solution that is easily implemented and we kind of are implementing it right now. There oh, are people, who, it. yeah, yeah, people who are moving back down south, away from these so-called destination cities. Uh, we saw it in our last huge election when Georgia turned blue. Georgia turned blue from Atlanta metropolitan area alone from all these black votes. So imagine if we did move back down south and created a dense voting power. But my only thing is, 
And we know this from reading as well. Once we make that change, then they change the rules of the game. Well, let's not go that so quick. Let's not go that so quick. So to to your point of what you just stated, right? The book is 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 giving this argument around black people moving south. And a lot of us already lived that life. But let's talk about how he got to that conclusion though. Let's just not jump into it. Cause I think if we if we jump into it, we miss the point. Like the point is that we've he's given an analysis of what we've tried already. And these these destination cities. Let's even talk about that. He's talking about like there's two waves of of migration of black people out of the South. One in the eighteen hundreds and then one later between like nineteen seventeen and nineteen seventy. So two different waves two different time periods of when black people left the South looking for new opportunities. And that's where we get these concepts of these destination cities, places like Detroit, New York, Chicago, uh, uh, freaking San Francisco, Portland, all these other places outside of the South. And he's basically saying that we went there and we did not do better. Like all the expectations of why we would leave the South, we went to these places and it just statistically the data shows that it just didn't get better. So that's my cliff notes version of how he got to that conclusion. I think there's some other stuff that I may be leaving out, but I thought that was fascinating that he even presented that argument. The fact that we tried this and it didn't work. Well, I think also in that Harvey is interesting to point out that, um, like the things that drove those, um, those migrations, he said, were like the wars that were going on, I guess primarily in Europe and how really the major push for it was kind of almost um, the two, a few major pushes for people leaving the South in, in that um, economic opportunity, because you could actually get a job that'll pay you something up North and black people down South had all of these actual skills because we were the skilled labor for centuries in that you get free expression because you got most of the, like, like the most youngest vibrant people, kind of going out of it, out of the South, and then moving up North, which then catapults all of these other cities into being like the gems that they are, like the destination. Because you can't really have New York without Harlem. Like you can't have Detroit without the Black people. Um, you can't have Pittsburgh without the Hill. Like you, this is like certain things that Black people bring to a situation that mm-hmm. that can be replicated. And as long as it has the opportunity to kind of like grow and flourish, then can be like a transformative thing but to your point i see i see what you're saying because when we moved to these other cities we still had the racism now we don't own no property so we can't leverage that land the police are militarizing against us and these people ain't even really from here they just got here like maybe 20 years ago (laughs) so you got all of these other like unexpected uh obstacles to success Mm -hmm. um that could have probably been avoided if you just kind of stayed if black people were allowed, if, if black people could have, I guess, militarized, like like how uh, their white counterparts have done traditionally in the South, because white people in the South tend to be armed uh-huh. um, heavily. Uh, more than the average citizen of any other country. Nigga, they made them gas. They got some shit that'll blow out our back from where they stay at. The Second Amendment. Uh, yeah, which we touched on in a, a book not too long ago. The Second. That was your book, Donovan. Yeah, yeah because you need guns when you're fighting somebody who's crazy and can overpower you and has 
resources. You're going to need some type of equalizer. And the gun has been the greatest equalizer in this country. That's why we don't pay any of our debts to any of the other countries in the world. In the world, We don't pay our debts because we have the most guns. What are you going to do? Come after us? It's not going to happen. So Okay, well, true. I think if black people keep that in mind as they do their migration, as well as the, the economic opportunity, because like right now, I guess since we're... Um, because of the pandemic, everything, not everything, but there's more opportunities for remote work. So now you can not have to live in New York or LA or Chicago. You can move to Louisiana and mm-hmm. pay $5,000 a year to live on this estate. Well, I know with uh, what Harvey was saying before and about the book and he didn't want to get too far into that part of the book because I guess there is a story and that's the part that I have to look for when I am reading and listening and have to talk about uh, something because these type of books I know they they become so full of fact kind of like a textbook kind of like the second you know where you it's hard to talk about it in a way that is a conversation. It's, it's more like a learning experience. But, you know, there. what I did love about this book was it did bring to life a lot of background. So um, when Harvey said, you know, I don't want to get straight to that part yet, there are other aspects to this book about uh, the philosophies of that, you know, African-Americans or uh, Americans, African descent, whatever we tend to call ourselves because of our uh, plight of how we got here. But we have had so many leaders in our struggle and throughout this time with different ways of looking at how we should be. Um, You know, there were stories about Booker T. Washington. There were the stories of W.E.B. Du Bois. There were the stories of um, Mr. Montgomery. And they just all came together in a way that also they're exciting, but they're also disheartening because when you think about all of that, It tells you how different we all are and how hard it is for us to just come up with one plan for everyone because we all have different ways of what we think we should be doing. You know, we should be pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps or we should be trickling down or we should be coming up. It's so many monsters to fight. So many. (laughs) And you you don't know who to follow. It's kind of like Malcolm X or Dr. King. Do I turn the other cheek or do I slap somebody back? I, you just don't know what to do. And and this is one of my favorite phrases. I say it all the time. The devil you know. And then you have to just, because I was telling Nakaya about the book and she was like, it's better than the devil you don't. I said exactly. And he didn't even have to put that all in the title. But, you know, the devil you know seems I, to be better than the one you don't. I thought the title was like the devil you know. Like the devil. And that mm-hmm. whole relationship we have with the devil. Our community, like, we love the devil. I mean, he made the devil, you know what I'm saying? So the evil that they do, I mean, you know what I'm saying, it's only supposed to bring something out of us in a way, you know what I'm saying? So is it bad? You know what I'm saying? We can't live without that motherfucker. Okay, God, God made the devil, though. God made the devil. And if God, 
made the devil, then I think we got to deal with it. I think that's kind of his point, right? Maybe? Well, I th- every every religion seems to, <laughs> I think I've studied every last one, but they all seem to have uh, a yin, a yang, a light, a dark, a, you know, it's it's going to have some type of contrast. And you know, that's, that's going to be what we live with as a human, some type of... What's my man name? Um, the Bishop, uh, I think his name is Carlton Pearson. Don Magic Wand. Oh. Not him, man. <laughs> I was wondering. No, Carlton <laughs> Pearson, the one that said there is no such thing as a heaven and a hell. Right. I came up with the conclusion that we probably got it wrong. And we misinterpreted that instead of the Bible being the inspired word of God, it's probably just the inspired word of man about God. He began to preach inclusion, that everyone goes to heaven and that there is no hell. It didn't make sense. And my experience of God was not that way. But in turning his back on a spiteful and angry God, he unleashed the wrath of what he calls Christianity Incorporated. He was suddenly a mortal threat to the business of the Bible. His fall was to be quick and complete. Some people just turn away from you. That's painful, but it's, it's, it's more bitter when they turn against you. Other pastors began to attack. He was barred from Oral Roberts University and removed from its board. And its namesake, his mentor, the creator of the prosperity gospel, warned him that preaching inclusion would destroy everything they'd built. Right. We're talking about a Christian. Yeah, he got he got ostracized. He got ostracized. <laughs> yeah, and, and they kicked him out of the... For saying they, they, Jesus did it. For, for saying we, we've already won the battle. Why keep fighting this shit? Or oh, they kicked him out. They got to have a devil. Oh, he did talk a lot about the differences of staying in the South and being raised in the South. And he said that, you know, there was an idea or a study done that people who went up North had a better education and they had better jobs. But he did also say the people who stayed in the South were a little bit more whole, a little bit more family oriented. And we didn't use childcare system we were raised under the grandparent system and we were a little bit more wiser. We were privy to more adult conversations. So the children who grew up down South were more connected to their relatives, obviously for obvious reasons versus the children who left and went up North. He called it silver care. We didn't go to daycare. We went to silver care. That's what he called it. No, gray care. Gray care. Yeah, oh, gray, gray care. care. Gray, gray care. care. Yeah, you gray got, care. You, you raised by your grandparents and your uncles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You just around old people all day, talking old at five years old. But five years old. Right. The advantages like of going up north is you better eat your said, vegetables. He said that the kids that went up north had a better education. Mm-hmm. Like, did they really have a better education on paper? I mean, they learned. Well, what is they education? Learned. Remember our, that oh. book we read about? Yeah, yeah. the indoctrination. What is the purpose of education, right? Well, and I, they were able to get into society better, maybe. Oh, uh, can, can I can I make a confession? Mm-hmm. I I Go watched ahead. I watched a one hour YouTube called "The Author Talks with Charles Blow, the Devil You Know," with oh. the Atlanta History Center on YouTube. And after that, I couldn't even bring myself to read this book. Oh, Negro! Oh, on that, oh, that, oh, that, oh, that, oh, that oh, podcast, oh, 
can we can Trev, I'm waiting for Trevor Noah to write another book so I can read that to get this taste happened, out of my Steve? mouth from oh, this book. Oh my god. What do you do? I don't need to hear another story about the great migration in my idealized childhood and then his solution is we're going to go segregate ourselves in five states. That's outlandish to me. That don't even make any sense to me. Steve, you know what's crazy? Because in our, in our podcast, on the recording on hashtag Black Lives Matter Black to Black Liberation, you were talking about a new Africa and people moving Jackson. to Jackson, Mississippi. <laughs> and when you were, it, it didn't work. Guess what? It didn't work. <laughs> Two but years did later, you, did they tried. Did they try? Did they introduced us to that yes, concept. In the we should <laughs> try. <laughs> Birmingham is better than Jackson. Run the tape back. Run the There's tape no back. Were the ten-year-olds able to the shoot water. their rifles? The water. <laughs> For their rifles. Yeah. The water. Run the tape back. I never was like, I'm about to move to Jackson, or that's a good idea. No, They're you doing were shit. like it was a good idea. Jackson you advocating. Jackson is a fun place to live. They locally. Okay, here's number of things. First of all, that's not the same thing as everybody moved to five states either <laughs> that's that's where you're at my that's where you're at take advantage of your political power i agree with that right now black people can do his plan to build a coalition in every state we run the democratic party like what but you also but trump also showed us Steve, that just... you can win the presidency well, we mentality slave mentality Steve, you can also win the presidency without the black vote yep well, I didn't do any fact checking, but he also yeah. said that white people are the majority in every state in this country except Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tell you what, everyone should move to Hawaii, but not that many people, but like most people. Uh-uh, because I'm claustrophobic and mm-hmm. I can't. <laughs> can swim? I can, I mean, but swim? not that far. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not that at all. I'm sorry. I just actually, it's Steve. It's, it's all Steve right now. I'm, I mean, it's the fact that I was wondering how in the world we were going to just talk about this book and that it was going to be, because it is, it's a good book, but I was no. really worried about how we were going to have this conversation. And then Steve just dropped this whole bomb that he didn't even read the book, but Could he watched it. bring myself hour. to do it. Of and and so now in my mind, I can't rest until <laughs> I know why why you did that. Number one, like what made you say before I read the book, let me watch this YouTube, and then number oh, two, oh, I want to oh, know oh. what he said in this YouTube that turned you to where you okay. couldn't even read the book. Perfect, great, good question. One, because I was worried I, I might not have time to read the book, so I was like, let me let me at least get some cliff notes so I can at least sit here quietly and pretend I read. Okay, uh, not that I've ever done that before, but if, if that was the case, then, <laughs> then I would sure be able anymore. to do that. <laughs> oh my gosh! And, uh, so then, this like here's here's a thing that that black people do sometimes, right? When they have the audacity to say that they have the solution for the black community. And they go on a lot of talk shows with white hosts. So he's at this Atlanta uh, podcast. There you are. That's what I'm talking about. He's a, he's on the, uh, this, this podcast with this white lady and she's v- being very deferential to him, asking him all these fucking like 
softball question. Softball. Here you go. Oh, that's a great point. Softball question. And then a question from the reader is basically like, uh, so gentrification is normally when a bunch of rich white people uh, push out a bunch of black people. But black people can do that, too, because this nigga has no class fucking analysis coming in here. And and he's like, uh, so with your plan, what would stop uh, gentrification in other other forms of poverty and poverty-inducing behaviors from happening to the black community by black people. It's like, oh well, well, well. I'm just saying that we would get con- to control the vote. I'm not saying that any of these other problems that are facing our community would be solved or would be attacked by this. I'm just saying we would control the vote in these places. <laughs> That's so like, you wanted him to think it through more. You needed him to think it through. Atlanta, what's going on down there? That's not what he's saying. Steve, all this man is saying, the bottom line, he's saying, like, get away from these people who tend to do you harm. Not that being around us is a paradise. Right. But we know what these people are gonna do when we're all around them. What do you so think is just... gonna happen if we just all segregated ourselves into one bombable area? Like what the fuck? Like it don't make no <laughs> one sense. bombable. Not abominable, but nah, bombable. That becomes the fear, right? We grew up in the same area in Louisiana, him and I. Actually, you guys. You and Charles Blue. Yeah. Actually, I saw him on like a year ago on CNN, and I was like, "Yo, this dude looks just like my dad." Oh wow! This is before I even knew he was where he was from, and I googled him, and I pulled up this picture, (laughs) and I sent it to my dad and his wife and my sister, and I said, "Yo, this dude looks just like you, daddy." After I sent the picture, then I realized, then I googled where he was from. He's from the same area where we're from, northern Louisiana, over there by Grambling. And I was like, he might be some kin to me. Hmm. Um, but anywho, um, years ago, it was like 1994, I was at the Bayou Classic. 1994. And, um, Great year. And I remember looking around the, the Superdome, and I was like, yo, if white people wanted to kill a whole bunch of Negroes at one time, they can just bomb this Superdome right now, and they get at least 100,000 of us. <laughs> this, between the, the amount of us is inside and on the outside in the area, it's about 100,000 of us. That's a little exaggerated, but I'll take it. For the Bayou Classic? Mm-hmm. All right. But anyway, that's what I was thinking. And I also... Damn, I was addicted at one point. I was addicted to <laughs> smoking black and miles. I was oh. a closet smoker. There you go. Look at you. And every time I look around, it was only black people smoking black and miles. <laughs> this is true. And I was like, if they ever wanted to get rid of a whole bunch of black people, <laughs> they'd be like, oops, my bad. And poison, they put something that's that's poisonous in the black and mouths and kill a whole bunch of Negroes. And I was like, I can't can't be smoking black and mouths because they they can kill us. And you know, it's crazy that this sounds like so far-fetched. Why do you think that we think that? It sounds so far-fetched, but as being black people and living in it, we know that that's not really that far fetched. Uh, it's us. not at all Tuskegee experiments. Exactly. Exactly. But also keep in mind though, those areas they would bomb would also mess them up because like the South has all the agriculture and like all the re- real resources from the country are in the South. 
they're yeah, but we still not going there. I, 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 when I said bombable, I know you're not going <laughs> to fucking carpet bomb the, the whole five states. But like we I live mean, we in a federal uh, democratic republic. Mm-hmm. When they gerrymander districts, mm-hmm. they put all of the black people into a limited number of districts because that limits their political power mm-hmm. on a federal level. So this level. is what the whole place of black people. This is that's what I mean. And so people. that's the point, though. That's his <laughs> point. His we, point we, we, is. Yeah, if if we become the majority in those five states, then you can gerrymander all you want to. I mean, federal power supersedes state power. So we are withdrawing from the most powerful branch of our government. But we're not withdrawing because we're still a part of that system. But let's not let's not get I mean, they'll change it on us. But that's what Republicans live and die by is their state's rights. That's, that, I mean, that's, not, that's not a real that, argument, Teresa. That's, that's not a real is, argument. Because that's what they do. Yes, I mean, no, right that's, now. That's what they say okay. on TV. Or that's what they say on TV. No, 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 no. Right now, this, this whole abortion thing was absolutely fine until. Until they actually did it. They Then when the federal government let go of that. The states, the states are the ones that have this problem. If I, I can fly to California and get an abortion because that's a state that still says it's okay, but I can't get one here. I can't get one in Alabama. I can't get one in Louisiana, but that's not, but that's the, that's a different. So states rights will, Mm -hmm. would not exist as an argument if it wasn't, uh, in line with their other agendas. It's exactly. not people, people don't feel like, um, oh, my state is better than the country. No one cares. And if we don't have the ability to build a coalition on a federal level in every state, we are effectively withdrawing from that from that entire level of government and but that was Lenny's point. States. And that was yeah, Lenny's point the about the them like, changing the rules. But as it stands mm-hmm. right now, every state has their senators who are representatives of who they are. And then you'll have your electoral mm-hmm. votes and all of that. Um, that counts for something. You can't pass nothing with five, with 10 senators. Nothing. You would have to be hard pressed to think that that would be it. I mean, you would have those plus the ones who I mean, it's it's not going to be that you're on an island. I mean, I guess in that thinking, that would mean that everybody else in the country is going to go against us because now all of these people down here are black. So, you know, Vermont who they talked about in the book is very liberal. You would say, oh, okay, well, they're not going to fool with us anymore. And California is not going to fool with us anymore. Well, he, he also, he also I, didn't, I can't argue didn't this point. suggest it's, that, that everybody left though. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't calling for a mass exodus of everybody. You know, he no, said, he, didn't. he said, if, if where you're living is working for you and you're getting money and, and you see opportunity, then stay. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Well, okay. Well, I, 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 I'm not gonna argue the, the political mechanics because that's there's science on that. We don't have to argue it. That's a fact. The other thing he said on this show was that she was like, okay, well, how? What's your timeline for this plan, dude? And he was like, oh, yeah, well, no. this 
this is a 60 year, this is a 60 year intergenerate. He invoked the fucking Black Lives Matter fucking language of this is an intergenerational struggle. So it's going to be a 60 year plan. Well, in 60 years, we're going to have a vastly different coastline and Uh none of this shit is going to grow where it grows now. So. I think that's going to be a bigger problem. He, he's aware of that. <laughs> what, what I think is dope about that, Steve. So you're saying we should all just move west? Dude? No, I don't west know where to move. But like, he's just. I think he's just. He's like. He doesn't have a class analysis, and he's he's not taking it into account that it's just like to me. It's just when someone says, "Hey, what's the answer?" Mm-hmm. I don't think that it's on anybody the ego that you got to have to be like, this is the answer. This is the solution. Here's my whole book about it. We don't have an answer. To go you ain't got the answers, man. You ain't got the answers. You ain't got the answers. You ain't got the answers, Sway. Kanye. I've been doing this more than you. Doing what you ain't got. Come on, chill out. You bro. ain't got the answers. Kanye, you ain't got the answers. Bro, I'm asking you You a ain't question. been doing the education. Bro. You ain't been doing the education. Kanye. For what's happening right now. Like, uh-huh. the thing that's, quote, unquote, working right now is actually not working. It's destroying everything in the planet. No one has an answer for that. So uh-huh. why do we have an answer for this other utopia for well, black I don't people? Think, like, I don't think no it's that. I don't, th- I, don't think it's, I don't think it's the answer for a utopia. I think it's, I think it's his Idea. response. Um, from his his, he wanted to go one way. He, he wanted to 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 be a governor at one point. Um, he gets stuck out here in New York yeah. making money. Like he 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 saw a little bit of both worlds. Um, but again, I think it's this analysis that he presents in terms of what has happened historically. Like, what mm-hmm. does the data say to where we are in two thousand twenty two? And so, like the the. Again, he doesn't. He's not saying that everybody should leave. He's saying the data is showing the places where we've done the best is is where we've always been. That's right. But that's there's no class analysis that like you you have the least incentive to leave if you're doing good in that place. Like well, that's, and, that, and those are the people who said, you know what, you're doing well, stay. And yeah. and I I do yeah. I, I I do understand what you're saying, and to a great degree. I agree because that is my criticism of the book. My criticism of the book is that, yes, there's an idea and you know what, maybe it could work, but there is no framework or actually like a start end point. There's really, it's kind of just an ideal. And to me, um, if he wanted this book to be an action plan, it would have had more action items. So, I, you know, I just feel like this book was kind of a yeah, teaser of plan. what it's, could be. It's not well, a manifesto. Like, he calls it a black power manifesto. Yeah, it's like. not a manifesto. I, he lost, yeah, that word is not good uh, <laughs> for him. Uh, yeah. so I don't think he's saying he has all the plans. I don't, I don't think he's presenting this as just like the plan, the whole plan, but like... An idea. If we can... Yeah, it's just like an idea, like, because like... Let me see. Like, I was trying to get that because he did break down the numbers of like how the Senate numbers would work, and we would actually have like a control of the whole government, federal government, because the senators control of the government. Like anything the senators say and do, that's what really runs the country. Supposedly, supposedly. Mm. Donovan, but, you got the hard copy, say, right? I'm I do. S- my bad, man. I mean to cut you off. How, how many pages is the hard copy? It's right here, Donovan. You don't have to get up. Uh, 209. 
209. Um, I have Amos Wilson's blueprint, blueprint for Black Power, a moral, political, and economic imperative for the 21st century. Uh, this book, <laughs> including the index, is uh, 887 pages. Won't be reading that. See, that's about Steve, that's probably more your speed. Steve, you can dive all into it. You can put your glasses on, lick your fingers, and get, grab your highlighters. Go ahead, Steve. Steve be like, about two more. Y'all ready to record? You know what I'm saying? I guess the analogy, Steve, all overall would be like how, like, Going to an HBCU is no like perfect place. It's just like how going to like any other school or university is not necessarily perfect, but like the HBCU experience is like such a great thing for black people and people who identify as black. Inexplainable. <laughs> it's the same argument. Exactly. <laughs> He's like, just replicate that, but with the state. That's all. Do that, and then we could call ourselves like Somalia or Rwanda or something, and then we just ride out. Everything's gonna be great. Yeah, but, but we, we, like, we got the most money on the planet, though, Steve. So we wouldn't necessarily end up like that. Not for long, nigga. Not for long. Yeah, yeah. This dollar is about that. Find ourselves on the other side. Like, yeah, yeah. Bill back from eighteen twenty-seven. Y'all owe us with interest. That'll be uh, everything. Everything. (laughs) But anyway, uh, without further ado, this is a segment of our podcast called Lit Bars. Lit Bars is any literature phrase of the book that stood out to you that was a literary creative piece of art or something that was really poignant in the book that, you know, you decided to grab your pen right next to it or highlight it. Lit bars. I have my lit bar and I kick it off. Race, as we have come to understanding, is a fiction. Racism, as we come to live it, is a fact. Teresa, you want to go next? Okay, I will. Um... On page 186, as Frederick Douglass said of Montgomery at the time, he has made peace with the lion by allowing himself to be swallowed. Hmm. So when you say Montgomery, you're talking about uh, Isaiah Montgomery. Of course. From out of Mississippi. Mm -hmm. Just a little history on Isaiah Montgomery. Isaiah Montgomery comes from the Davis plantation. General Davis was the president of the Confederate. Isaiah Montgomery used to run his store. Once he was free, Isaiah Montgomery and his brother, they invented the propeller for the steamboat to go up and down the Mississippi River. He also purchased a large parcel of Jackson Davis's land after they were free. They paid their workers and they ran one of the most successful cotton businesses out of the South. And he was a black man. 
they started their own city in the Delta of Mississippi called name of the city, baby. I don't remember. It was an all black city. Not Mount Bayou. Yeah, Mount Bayou. Yeah, that's it. It was an all black city uh, called Mount Bayou. Now, Isaiah Montgomery's survival tactic was to just be nice to white people and not rub them wrong so they won't come to Mounds Bayou and harm the residents of Mounds Bayou. Today, we call it sucking and jiving or, you know, kissing up white folks or, you know, code switching. But back then, it was a form of survival. We had to do certain things just to survive because we didn't have the power to fight back. So I just wanted to get that little uh, historical reference to who Isaiah Montgomery was. Well, thank you. That was nice. That was nice. nice. Who wants to go next on there? It's going to have to be hard because I didn't read this book. <laughs> hey, hey, Steve! I can, I can, I can text you some shit because I got. I don't even know these are lit bars. They just, they just passages. I'm, I don't know, man. Uh, page one eighty six with Teresa. For one hundred and fifty years, Black Americans have been hoping and waiting. We have marched and resisted. Many of our most prominent leaders have appeased and kowtowed. We have seen our hard-earned gains eroded by evolving, refining white supremacy, while at the same time we are told that true and full equality is under often. But there is no more guarantee of that today than there was a century ago. Um, the black power political structure in this country, antiquated and sclerotic, is in desperate need of a jolt of youth and energy and a wave of young migrants to the South who can establish state or regional control can provide it in the spirit of the region's young black mayors. Uh, he was he was, he was was using some examples um, at that time. Uh, here, here's one, Steve. I'm not saying that all black people should move, excuse me, I'm not saying all black people should or would participate. Mass movements are largely for the young and incumbent that was the case for the Great Migration, and that is the case for the mass movement to Vermont. The allure is that the revolution without violence, it uses the law, the Constitution, the very mechanisms that have been employed in Black oppression as the vessels for Black liberty. For decades, white supremacists have championed states' rights as a tool of racial oppression. Here, that philosophy would be employed in the quest for racial liberation. White supremacy is to be consumed by its own fire. He did mention that Vermont on the thing. He was talking about Vermont with like young white people moving yeah, and, and replacing was, the conservatives there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he, Bernie Sanders. Yeah, he was talking about, but that movement was in like 1965. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they moved to Oregon and Northern California during that time. It was all the hippies. They had to go somewhere cheap because they didn't have jobs. But he also talked about the <laughs> early uh, settlers. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I know. He also <laughs> talked about the early settlers of, of Oregon during the Oregon Trail where they wrote legislation to kick the black people out. Like, look, this ain't for y'all. Y'all y'all go back over there. Yeah, that was their yeah. haven. But I do I like Bernie Sanders. I, I think uh, revoking that's on the ballot this year in Oregon. I don't know, though. I'm a little disconnected from there. So, so, so Steve, no, he doesn't have a full agenda. Check this out. He says, I chose to strive with my people to have less but gain more, to find a way to rise together. I have never forgotten those lessons. He's talking about when he went to HBCU, that sometimes the mission is greater than you, that sometimes the decision you make for you must include the consideration of the whole, that while my presence in white space may be additive, 
that presence in black spaces could be curative and that sometimes the choices we make in life are more about community advance than personal prerogatives. He was telling me that at times altruism is the greatest ambition. Now I'm saying to today's young, gifted, and black, your people need you. Will you consider making the choice that I once made, not just in selecting a school, but in selecting a place to live out your life? Will you take it to will you take it to as a mission? Black people have it within their power to be their own saviors, to craft their liberty, to author a new narrative. You know, that was that was a, a position statement that I thought was real dope because people don't anyway. Um he said, too many of the black elite get drafted into white adjacent privilege, suckled by the personal prosperity and personal comfort, blinded by the glamour of high society. They become the neo-house Negroes, placated passive and resurrection of the antebellum relic in which the best and brightest of black society, those who would otherwise be generals in the resistance and rebellion, are lulled to sleep by luxuries. The more talented and successful you are, the more tightly and money-eyed established embraces you cleaves you from the struggling plight of your people and beck nights you and benights you to benights you excuse me as an honorary member of theirs it is easy to get lost in this seduced by it convinced of it conceived of it i know this world well so he's owning his own experience. it's funny that you read that one is because that one reminded me so much of our conversation with steve I do want to bring a little bit of your background into the uh, onto this podcast, Steve, because a lot of these things that we're talking about, you live, you have lived the experience through it. I remember um, one time I was venting to you, and I was talking about uh, black activism, you know, the black pathology, and what we need to do, and some of the things that frustrates me. I was, to be honest with you, I was saying, Steve, I, you know, these niggas, man, they just get on my goddamn nerves, though. And a lot of times, you know, uh, I believe that these white people, I think that niggas they really flat. just don't like, like these niggas. And we don't like these niggas. I'm going to move to Atlanta with the other pushy niggas. And, 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 <laughs> right. But whatever. But I remember you kind of like putting me in my place. And I still kind of slip out of that because these niggas, you know, they're aware on your conscience. But uh, impossible. Say again. Impossible. Impossible that these niggas are aware on your conscience. Yours. Oh, you yeah. These niggas do be wearing on my conscience. Not like mine. Um, and Steve, you you have a way of correcting me and and kind of telling me that I'm acting like an elitist and I can't leave these niggas behind. So I gotta, I can't pull the ship off the dock because these niggas late. I need to try to save all these niggas. I don't think so it's the same I say all that to say, I don't think it's Steve, give a little, give give the listeners a little of your background. Where you from? How did you ended up in? How you ended up in activism? And how you have your lived experience in trying to find solutions? I no. I, Fuck you! <laughs> you do what I asked you to do. I, I, <laughs> Hold on, where did you grow up? I, I grew up in Boston. Okay, so in a destination city, right? In a destination city, correct. As, All right, that, a, that's that's a, a part. That's a part of the book. Kids, as a mixed race kid, I moved to Hawaii, which is majority people hate white people, which is great. 
can't advocate enough for moving there. It's just too expensive. Uh, probably why. Um, I don't know, man. I got into activism for the same reason why a lot of people do is because they they uh, they got disillusioned uh, and they were naive enough to think that they could do something in a lot of ways. And I don't and I don't say that as a negative. Before you get into your activism, tell the listeners about your experience of moving to the South when you came to Florida to FAMU. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I came to FAMU, I'd be like, man, I just went into a time machine because everyone's mentality to me felt, from my analysis at the time, as backward or old thinking but I don't necessarily hold those views anymore and I think the author probably talks about this when he talks about cultural differences from the north and south and I think probably it's in the it's with the perspective that northern people are like bougie or uppity or what I think Donovan will agree with like more indoctrinated into white culture and, and also exposed to a lot of different ideas, whereas the South is like we're in our communities with our people and we know our culture really well. So for me, that was a culture shock. That's that's it. Was that your first time around black Southern people? Yes. What is the acronym? Yes. yes. I don't know, but I wouldn't call Floridians black Southern people. No, no. It was, it was you yes, and you. Charles okay. Blue almost says you can't be a good black person and not love the South. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I kind of agree with Teresa. Like Florida is his own weird thing. It's his own weird thing. Florida, it depends on what you're talking about in the South, because Florida has like a cultural South and it's like a geographic South. So you got like the Northern part of Florida, which is really kind of like Southern Georgia. And then you got South Florida, which is a, a mix between the Caribbean and New York. So I think it was interesting how we talked about like the concept of what the South is and how, if we look at it in a larger in a larger perspective, this the South has most of like the senator, senatorial control. So like, once you kind of gerrymander those, you can kind of control everything. But I see your point, Steve. Is is every state going to be just a big Atlanta or Lagos? Who's to say? Mm. Hey, hey, and, and you know what? I think the idea is quote unquote idiotic. Uh, but I'm, I'll try it. it. It can't be worse than what's going on now. <laughs> what the fuck? Right. right. I'm not defending the status quo. The southern place got the best weather in all the countries, so it's like, well, at least you ain't got to deal with snow. Mm, except for every five years. Exactly. <laughs> Hold on, Steve. Have you ever right, felt well, I, a place? What's that? What? that? Have you ever felt at home with around any group? Oh no, yeah, that's a classic cool. mixed kid thing. That's a classic yeah, mixed kid thing. Maybe no. that's why you're oh. like against it. Cause no, no, no. I feel I feel at home most around black people than I do around uh, like. I like think that's all Charles Blow is saying. I think he's affirming that feeling. You know, well, if he just said that and that was the summation of his book, Harv, that would have done it. But he puts all he constructs all these things that just don't make no sense. They don't make no sense. You don't have to argue it. The political argument don't make no sense. The economic <laughs> argument don't make no sense. <laughs> but nah. even his even his snapshot in time stats don't make no sense. But if he wants to hang out, cool, I'm down. A study, a study by Black Tech Week of the best places for black-owned businesses in 2017. 
found that southeastern states have the highest concentration of black businesses. On Of the top 10 metropolitan areas with the highest concentration of black businesses, Georgia and Virginia each contain two, and Tennessee, Alabama, Louisiana, North Carolina, Maryland, and Florida had one each. The top three metropolitan areas for black-owned companies were Memphis, Montgomery, and Atlanta. Yeah, but what they selling? <laughs> Memphis, they selling mixtapes. <laughs> Making easy money. Montgomery, they selling they selling fish plates. Um, no, I mean, I mean, because I really thought we were gonna get through. Well, in Miami, we got OnlyFans. That's it. We got OnlyFans. Oh, oh my gosh! And, and, and Bitcoin. <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean, seriously, though, um, I do. I don't know. It, this is when I guess my husband's going to start talking crazy about me again. But, um, yeah, certain type of things. I'm just the idea, though, being in Atlanta will definitely make you get your creative juices flowing of, you know, what you could do to be an entrepreneur. You know, I've talked to people, everybody that gets here, they get the fever of, you know, I could sell this, I could do this, I can da 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 da. And, um, you I know, ev- everything <laughs> is, you know, just not to be so. But hey, there is a market for everything. But, I don't know. It's just some things about the Chitlin circuit that I'm just not interested in. But um, <laughs> some people are. And is it because just, it's, uh, <laughs> one being an entrepreneur is a shit job if you have little to no capital because you'd be working your ass off for nothing and chances are you're going to fail. And two, we don't need to get more people into capitalism. That's not going to help nothing. Like I nothing. mean, but you know, but yeah. being here, it's like yeah. I don't. It's very weird. I mean, because I'm just going to be a hundred percent honest and transparent in all of this, and I will say that I love being here because being here speaks to my soul, but it doesn't speak to my brain. Nor does it speak to um, the type of lifestyle that I prefer, but I it does, you know, it speaks to my soul in ways of, you know, kind of things that you can't even I mean, they're just intangibles, you know, like what people say when they hear an African drum beat or whatever. I, I feel more at home in this Get particular that, that vibe, area. Yeah, I, I feel more at home in this particular part of the country. It's it, I, it's where I feel the happy. It's like my heart is in rhythm with what's going on here. But I, I cannot lie. It's a bunch of bullshit. And I, I it's, it's a whole lot that comes with being living in Wakanda, <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's it's just Man, a you take lot. the good, the bad, like and the, the ugly. Yeah, and 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 I, I look if, at if it, Atlanta's you know, Wakanda. What's the vibranium? Oh, uh, when he said hair weave and eyelashes, hair weave, eyelashes, and lemon pepper wings. Lemon pepper wings. No, you know what? Hold on. Oh, hold so on, Teresa, on. I have a question for Teresa. Are the crab legs taking over the lemon pepper? No, they're not. Oh, okay. I have Living a question for you. Okay. If, if instead of writing this big long uh, 
really porous argument about political power? What if he just said, hey, we should all go to one place and hang out because we'd enjoy it more and this shit sucks anyway? Would you be more likely to be like, okay? He did say that. He said, he said, hell, you can at least come to New Orleans. They got the uh, Essence, Fe- uh, Essence Festival <laughs> and the Bayou yeah. Classics. <laughs> what is he, a 30-something-year-old I know, but he also yeah. said... <laughs> now, he, he, went, he went to Grambling. But he, he also said with, that that uh, was the, um, the largest, uh, <laughs> largest gathering gang, classic, and it's right. not. So and he's, he's a rich he, auntie. But he's also... <laughs> and so that's why I'm like, factually, not he's largest. not on point. So I can't really... Uh, I believe it's the Magic All-Star City Classic. Oh. It's the Magic City Classic. Alabama, so Alabama State is bigger than the Bayou. I, you know, you some people, some people were phone. saying it was you the Florida Classic. Oh, Florida Classic mm. bigger than the Bayou? Uh-uh. Uh, no. I don't know about that, y'all. Um, Bayou, Bayou is the Bayou. Like a little uh, Mardi Gras. Isn't That's it? a world. That's a That's whole really little traveling city. Those people. Um... But yeah, so Steve, yeah, I think that I, I'm, I'm just, I'm very intrigued by the idea of both, but, um, that is my criticism. My criticism is that there is not enough information to make that kind of decision. Uh, it just, it, it isn't. That brings us to the segment of the podcast where we rate the book. So I'm going to start off with rating the book. I'm going to give the book one out of 10. I'm going to give the book a solid eight. You said a one out of 10. Yeah, I was so confused because the other day when Nakaya gave me a zero out of 10 on something and you said a one out of 10. And I was like, wait a minute, a one out of 10? What did you just say? Yeah, we're going to rate the book one one out of 10. No, we're going to rate the book one to 10. Okay, one. All right, one to 10. One out of 10 would be. Uh, 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 Oh, yeah, you're right. I didn't line, read the book, line, but I will Steve. give it a one out of ten. And when this <laughs> Negro starts saying something real, they'll kick him off CNN. Trust me. <laughs> no, see, actually, it was, it was a good book. Man. It, it was. It, it actually, it was a good book. And I knew that you would like the book if you actually took the time and give it some. One hundred percent guarantee, I will not. Yeah. All right. I bet my eyebrows. Harvey. <laughs> Donovan's waves were not going up. Uh, Harvey, rate right this book one, uh, one, one through ten. I mean, I can totally respect Steve's not reading the book perspective. <laughs> carry, you, you better carry my rating heavily. <laughs> uh, I mean, like I said, Amos Wilson has the blueprint for black power. Um, uh, the Republic of New Africa has already talked about moving to the South and, and what that looks like. I think there's been this not concept is not new, um, but I think this book is a nine simply because it's just one piece of the puzzle. I don't think it's intended to be everything. It's, it's, exactly. It doesn't even try to be everything. It, it it makes no attempt. This is like step one. Get away yeah. from these people that can kill you. Yeah, yeah. Step it two, makes no voluntary farm labor. Yeah, it has, it has no <laughs> strategy. That's not the book. You know. I mean, it's, it's almost it's almost like the turn of the century where where you had all the intellects thinking that they had the panacea to uh, black plight. And he talks about it. He talks about E.B. DeBose. He kind of like 
brung him through the ringer, and he talked about he talks about Booger T. Washington a lot. But as Malcolm X would say, they all, everybody, it doesn't matter how you disagree, we all have one common goal, and that is to be free of this oppressive system that we're in. Donovan, rate this book one through ten. I said an eight. Okay, why? Um, because I didn't like the uh the reading. I like the um the idea overall though. Um the South is just better, like overall. I've lived up north. You're just gonna get cold, you're just gonna be mean to each other, you got rats. At least in Atlanta, you know you're gonna have some flashy <laughs> going on all the time. And if you got like twelve Atlanta gray. rats and gray skies. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> Ain't no fucking blue skies up north. And the sunsets quicker. Cold oh, rats, gray skies, and short days. Atlanta ain't nothing but a bunch of uh, big eyelashes and hellcats. Um, <laughs> uh, Teresa, <laughs> Lennon, <laughs> could you uh, rate this book one through ten? Okay, I would rate this book actually an. Eight. And the reason why I rate this book an eight, because it was a very good read. Um, and Steve, I, I know that you don't think that you would like it and you wouldn't like it for the same reason that I, you know, I'm like, what? Because there is no real action and you're looking at, but this is what he said. And, but if you get past the fact that it has that part to it. There was a lot of information that was just given about the different philosophies of how we have been led as a people. And it's just interesting. And it's a very um, interesting read to see how we are divided in so many different ways. And on top of all these different ways, here he comes with this reason and a rationale of we could actually pull this off. So because of that, um, it, it becomes a good read and it actually had some good, I won't say information. It had just the language, the way he wrote, he's a very good writer. So that, that made it a good book as well. The funniest thing to me in listening to this book and nobody brought this up was he would tend to take on the accents of the person speaking when he was reading. And I thought that that was hilarious. <laughs> I've never read it. Never. That was, oh my gosh. <laughs> when, that wasn't the author though. Okay. Well, whoever, that, that wasn't the, the, author the, the person who was reading the book, uh, when he was reading what Barack Obama said, he started he talking like, like oh my voice. gosh. And then <laughs> Dr. King, he did a Dr. King. He did a Malcolm X. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Hold on. I mean, and it took it every time he did it, it caught me off guard so i had a little bit of comedic relief uh in this when i was listening to it but um you know i would have loved to give it more because like i said his writing was very um it was written very well but because the action plan is not exactly cemented and it leaves it very open-ended is why i only gave it an eight hey bus driver i'm getting on that horn wow New York, just like I picked it. New York, big city and dreams and everything in New 
York, ain't always what it seems. You might get fooled if you come from out of town, but I'm down by law and I'm from the dark. Simply to return to the places where you were majorities or large percentages of the population to consolidate political power. Before the Great Migration, 90% of all Black people lived in the American South. At the end of the Civil War, three Southern states were majority Black. Another three were within four percentage points of being majority Black. Every Southern state had a large Black population. If Black people had not migrated, which is the big if, and if there, there was still the passage of the civil rights legislation and the voting rights legislation, another big if. It is conceivable that Black people today would control up to 14 sentences. They could control more electoral college votes than New York State and California combined. They, If they vote, voted over that same period the way they vote today, there would not have been a Republican president in the last 50 years. That would mean that the Supreme Court would look completely different. I don't think there's a justice on it who was appointed over 50 years ago. It would have been a major shift in power, and it can still be. The only thing that Black people have to do, and not even all of them have to do this, large numbers have to do what smaller numbers are already doing, which is to return to the South. Thank you for tuning in and listening to The Bruh's Bookshelf. Remember to click subscribe, share with your friends, give us a five-star rating, leave a comment, and return. Thank you.